glory be to God. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, just a little delay in getting started this morning. Uh, but we want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to touch and minister uh, in our Sunday school and our Sunday morning service. We've got many that are watching via live stream uh, that are sick. We've got some that are out of town. We want to be praying for them and just continuing to hold them up to God in prayer. Thank you so, again so much for joining with us this morning. Let's go to God in prayer. If you're in-house and you have a prayer request, if you would, let it be known by lifting your hand. God knows each one. Those that are on live stream, if you'll just text it to the number listed on the bottom of the screen. Some of you already have this morning. You've texted prayer request in, and I want you to know that we're partnering with you in prayer. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer and ask God to minister in our Sunday morning services today. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. I want to thank you again for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this great opportunity that you've allowed us to come to worship and praise you. Father, I pray right now that you'll just move and minister in our Sunday school class, our Sunday morning worship. Father, I pray that you'll touch our Sunday school teachers, each one of the students that's in the class. Father, I pray that you'll touch our praise team, the musicians, Father, as they lead us in worship. And God, I pray that you'll touch your word this morning, that it would go forth and it would, be, it would be used for what you are intending it for it to be used. And God, I thank you for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do in our church family and those that's connected. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just as a reminder, those that are on our live stream, you're welcome to visit cvcog.church forward slash sermon. And there you'll find our Sunday school outline and our Sunday morning worship. Let's take a look this morning. We're going to be taking a look at, new, at our new life in Christ. We have a new life in Christ. This morning there's several sections that we're going to be looking at uh, in our Sunday school class this morning. The first thing that we're going to be looking at is, is our central truth is we, are, we have salvation by the grace of God. And it, that grace unites all of us as believers. We do not need to mistake grace with with um, overlooking sin or anything of that nature. We have to go to the Father. And when we go to the Father, we have grace. If we just continuously sin, we don't have grace. Hello? An intentional sin is not covered by grace until you go to the Father. Amen? But I'm so glad that we have salvation by grace this morning. Amen? We can also take a look at the next thing is we're going to focus on that salvation through grace alone and we're going to also recognize that we are part of a larger body of believers. Did you know, I hope that I don't shock you too bad this morning, but did you know that Coosa Valley Church of God is not the only ones going to heaven? Did you also know, I hope I don't shock you real bad this morning, that the church of God is not the only ones that are going to heaven? Did you know that? Did you also know that when we arrive in the gates, go, go into the gates of Pearl, we go past St. Peter, and we start walking around heaven, did you know there are people that you think are going to be there, they're not going to be there. There's also people that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt in your brain. They'll never make it. They'll never make it into glory. Did you know? They will be there. What we must understand is grace, dispensing of grace is not my decision. 
dispensing of grace is not my decision. It is the Heavenly Father's. Amen? We're going to also take a look at something else. We're going to be looking at Christ's sacrifice provides salvation to all who believes in Him. Too many times people believe that salvation is given because I'm a good person. Salvation is given because I look good, I act good, I got good hair. Well, I've missed it on all accounts. But what we must understand is simply this. Salvation is not dispensed by anything we do here on earth. It has only been done by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Amen? What we must do is turn it all over to Him and allow Him to work in our lives. And only through that do we receive salvation. It's not by any other works or any other thing, but it is only through the grace of God and the salvation dispensed in our lives. That is the only reason that we have salvation. Amen? So let's go on and let's take a look this morning. If you'll take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, look at what it says. It says this, For by grace alone you have been saved, and not through faith, uh, saved through faith. And this is not by your doings. This is not by anything that we do, but it is according to the gift of God given into your lives. Amen? What we must understand, it is God's grace and God's mercy that we receive by our faith. Amen? I cannot do anything to get myself into heaven. I can't be, oh, he was a good person. Great! He would be a gooder person if he was saved. Oh, but he gave lots of money to, to X and Y and Z foundations and organizations and nonprofits, and, and, and he really volunteered with these, and he done this and he done this. He, if, he, if he was saved, he would be a gooder person. Yes, I'm saying that wrong on purpose. Because I want us to realize something. It is not by what I'm drawing attention to what I'm saying while saying it gooder. Because I want us to understand just because you're a good person does not make anything, make salvation possible. It is only through the grace of God. And it is a gift that's been given to us. Amen? So let's, let's move on forward. First of all, we're going to be taking a look in just a moment at we're saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We take a look at the first chapters of the book of Ephesians. Paul uh, gave the believers a picture of their spiritual riches. We, the wealth that they had perceived and received, it could be only done by faith and with their spiritual senses. Now, I know that some have watched um, TV shows or cartoons or read the comic books of, uh, of um, uh, uh, Spider-Man and how Spider-Man, and he would, he would do something and he would shoot out a net or something of a spider web or something like that. And I remember watching several of these little cartoons or, and these, the TV shows or 
Yes, I'm into those things, okay? If you don't like that, that's okay. It's science fiction. I do not believe that those things are real, okay? Please understand that. It is fiction. It is funny in occasions. And that's all it is. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of these shows today that they're just starting to get. I'm wanting to watch some of the older shows now because they don't have some of the junk that the newer shows has. But any route, uh, some of these little cartoons, they'll say, he'll say something about my spidey senses. He's got his spidey senses. They'll start tangling whenever something happens. He's got his spidey senses. Listen up, church. We've got spiritual senses. And what that is, is our, uh, it is, uh, we can, we walk around somebody and we know that they're saved because their spirit and, and our spirit recognizes one another. You, look, I've told people and I've told people and some people really don't believe me. And so they try it out, I guess that's what they're doing. They don't believe what I'm telling you, but I'm telling you on live feed and in person. I'm telling you, when somebody lies to me, I know it. It's not because some little uh, thing pops up over their head and waves or anything like that. It, the discernment of the Spirit just starts kicking in. And I, I'm like, hmm, they something up about this. Hmm. Now, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you something for those that have lied to me. Yes, I do know it. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm not looking at anybody in the sanctuary and I'm not looking at anybody on live feed. But it does, it does, just because I know it doesn't mean I act on it. That is another spiritual sense. Knowing when God wants you to do something. So we're going to talk, we may talk about that a little, long, little later on in, in, in our Sunday school service or even the Sunday morning sometime or another. But in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at that shortly, Paul prayed that the Ephesians might know the exceeding grace, greatness of God and His power towards those who believe. God gives those that believe, He gives them power. And a measure of it is pointed at Christ's resurrection, ascension, and exaltation. To further illustrate the mighty power of God and its impact, what Paul also does in these passages of Scripture. In Ephesians, we'll take a look at verses 1 through 3, and he, Paul talks about his life in sin. And then verses 4 through, 12, 4 through 10, he talks about his life in Christ. Like Christ, the Ephesians once were dead, but in Christ they had been raised and enthroned. The second chapter of Ephesians chapter uh, 2. We're going to take a look at 11 through, 11 through 22. And Paul returns to the situation of his readers prior to the incorporation into, Christian, into the Christian community. One of my commentators that I like to read books, I am not endorsing this fellow. Please understand, I do not endorse people. I don't endorse people from the pulpit, that is just, that, that's just my thing, okay? But I'm going to read you something that David Cooper wrote. I liked this, and so I want to read this. Not endorsing this. Any book I read, I usually take the chicken meat out of it and spit the bones out. Some of you will understand what that means, and some of, them will wake, some of you will think about that at 2 o'clock in the morning and wake up and think, I know what that meant. Don't call me and tell me. But what David Cooper wrote is this. He said one of the greatest needs in our lives today is the need for restoration. 
To restore means to bring something back into existence or its effect once again. To bring back to a former or original condition. To put it back into a former place or position. To reinstate or to return. We talk about restoring relationships, renovating antique furniture, reinstalling a political leader, returning something that was broken or stolen. These all demonstrate the idea of restoration. I'm going to tell you something. There's folks in the church world that needs a restoration in their spiritual life. Amen? Many try, and some of you in here have talked about restoring old cars or restoring an old piece of uh, uh, farm equipment or uh, restoring a rod and reel uh, back to an original condition. Or you may try to, um, hang on, let me look at that word. I'm going to say this and really, you may try to return a rod and reel that a fish stole from you. We're not going to say anything about who did that or was trying to initiate that or anything of that nature. But these are, th- these are things that we do. It's human nature to try to restore. We talk about the government trying to reinstall or reinstall uh, 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 a political leader that's been thrown out or anything in a, by a third, in a third world country or something of that nature. But we need, to, we need to restore our relationship with God. But Brother Andy, I'm saved. But is your relationship where it should be? Is your relationship with God where it should be? Let me go ahead and answer that before anybody does. Your relationship is not where it should be. We can all get closer to God. Amen? Today in the world we're living in, In the world we're living in today, we're seeing too many times Christians, saints of God, pastors, evangelists, preachers, Sunday school teachers, men and women of God that has walked the trail, blazed the trail, and they've turned their life away for a moment of pleasure And they think they've done nothing wrong because, whoop, glory to God, I'm saved. That person has walked back from God and look at all the people that they've destroyed because of their witness and their testimony is now gone. Church, we have got to stay in our relationship with God and we've got to keep that relationship close. It's not time to turn back. It's time to push forward in God. Amen? So let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. We're going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. All of this is out of the English Standard Version as we've been using for many, for several years now. Take a look. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The former manner of the life in Ephesians is that of death. As a result of sins and trespasses, such was the awful state and utter, utterly beyond the help of mankind. Now, I, I've had people to bring problems and bring things that, that's going on in their lives, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to share with you a secret. I cannot fix all of it. I can fix about 1%. And I barely can do that. But what I can do is I can give you biblical sound doctrine to point us to the cross of Calvary, to point us to God, to point us to Jesus Christ. And what I can do is I can help us get back to where we can be, where we need to be. Mankind cannot fix everything. We can fix nothing without the help of God. There, the, the Ephesians were utterly unable to meet the divine requirements of the divine law. They were dead. Look at verse 1. They were dead. And Paul is not talking about a physical, but he is talking about spiritual. This expression is not figuratively as Ephesians and as the sinners in the Ephesian church lived in a state of spiritual death. Now I know that we as this body of believers, we've had many, 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 many people. One of these days I'm going to sit down and take a look at my log and get a good count on it again, but it's a lot. We've had people physically die connected with this church. Physically die. But Larry, I've been at the bedside of way more than I ever wanted. And I have been there as they died. And I've been there through the steps following. There is a physical death. But let me just tell you something. The difference in my mind, this is Andeology 101, the difference in my mind between physical and spiritual death besides just the name is a physical death of a saint of God. Guess what? Yes, it's sad. Yes, it's sorrowful. But guess what? We are rejoicing. Why? Because another saint has made it home. Amen? But the, the, the thing about a spiritual death is that person may have been, may is a Christian, and they're starting the process of falling away from God. That's a state called backslidden. There needs to be a restoration of the spiritual man to restore them back to where they was so that they can have their relationship with God as one once again, whole once again. I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I know that over the last 18, 19, 20 months, however long it is, it feels like 50 years. But over the last time frame since COVID has been introduced, y'all do realize COVID was, COVID was in existence before all of this? I mean, 
Okay, I'm not getting into that, but yeah, yeah, was it here already? Now it's a thing. Okay, but before COVID was brought into existence into our mindset, most people had no idea what COVID-19 was. Most people didn't know what the, word, the letter CCP means. Many still don't. But a lot of people, we had, COVID was not a part of our vocabulary. There is a physical sickness with COVID. We got that. I realize that. I know that it has hit, it has hit our church. That physical sickness has swept. I am not as, don't think I'm ugly and I'm mean on this. I am not as concerned about that physical just like I'm not as concerned about the physical death of a saint of God, but I am more concerned about the spiritual sickness and the spiritual death because spiritual sickness leads to spiritual death. There's a lot of Christians that are spiritually sick and they're, on spirit, they're in the spiritual ICU unit and they're leading to spiritual death. This is what we're talking about whenever he was writing, Paul was writing the letter to the Ephesian church. He is talking, yes, he's talking, he's talking spiritual here. This spiritual sickness is leading to a spiritual death. All sinners are dead. And the only difference between one sinner and another is the state of decay. The lost are on skid row and may be decayed outwardly, more outwardly than the unsaved society leader, but both are dead in sin. The turn, then Paul goes on. As he's talking about this spiritual sickness, spiritual death, he goes on into verse 2, and he talks about walked, in which you once walked. It recurs, this word walk occurs many, many times in Paul's writings. But here, in the, in the letter to the Ephesian church, the Ephesians' former walkabout was in accordance with a legality of the world, and he emphasized that anyone without Christ in this present age radically opposes the walk of God. The walk that they was doing was contrary to what God has called us to walk in. It, look, look, I want to show you something. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked. You're following what the world... It, look, there's so many people today. I cannot tell you how many times as a pastor that people have come to me and they've said this. Is this a sin? If I do this, is this a sin? If the thought is going through your mind, then you better walk away. I don't care what it is. Do you know why? I won't tell you this. You need to really hear this. You need to really pay attention to this. Because it might look and seem innocent enough, but guess what? 
you start opening the door, it's going to just bombard on in. You're not going to be able to shut the door then. Once you allow an inch for sin, you can't stop it except through the grace and the mercies of God. Paul is emphasizing that anyone without Christ is a prisoner of the social society and the value systems of the present evil age. The custom of sinning takes away the sense of that restoration with God and the course of the world takes away the shame of it. Think about that. How many things today, I want you to really think about this. I want you to really focus on this statement. How many things that are going on today, some of you probably couldn't go back 50 years, so I won't say that. How many in-house live feed alike, but how many things today that 20 years ago, I'm going to tell you that just 20 years ago, that's not a long time ago. How many things are accepted in society today that 20 years ago would have been, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, don't, you can't talk about that. But we have allowed things to just, oh, it's okay. It ain't that bad. God made them. Oh, I'm so sick of hearing that. God don't make mistakes. Brother Andy, are you talking about what we think you're talking about? I'm talking about that. And I'm talking about thieving and stealing and murdering and everything else. Every type of lifestyle, whatever it may be, and it could be gluttony, and I'll just throw that one in too. Oh, Brother Andy, you're guilty of that. No, I'm going to tell you something. I love food. But, I, but there's times I'm like, mm, I can't eat another bite. I know when i got to stop. Do you know why? Because number one, I know that that gets to the point of sin. Oh, but it's so good. Yes, but pleasures of life seem so good to begin with. But number one, I know that it's a sin. And number two, if I go too far, it's a sin. But number two... I think that Sister June's tired of taking my pants out. Some of them can't go outward no more. So, you know, I got to... I make a joke about that, but you get my point. That any type of sin can seem good, but it has... Every action has multiple consequences, not just in our lives, but in everybody's lives around us. Did you realize if I allow sin to control and operate in my life, that that flows downhill? I'm the pastor of this church. Everybody seeing what I'm saying here? So there are more people that is affected by my actions than just myself. Than just my family. We've got to understand that God has made us a body of believers to work together. Amen? In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, we find that human sinfulness is not 
something that is just segregated to one popular one person or another or group of people or another one social group or another sinful action sinful sickness sinful death is rampant through all, everybody it is a universal thing the past life of the jewish christians like that of the gentiles was dominated by their cravings of sinful nature the flesh it's not merely the body, but the whole person. And it pulls away from God towards its own selfish, selfish desires and selfish concerns. When we allow ourself, our self-action, self-lust, selfish desires to take control, we move away from God. Amen? So let's go on. Because of the Jewish converts had once been in as much danger of judgment as anyone else. The phrase in verse 3 talks about the children of wrath. And this denotes those who deserves God's punishment and tells them that sin brings condemnation. Sin separates you from God. I don't care what kind of sin it is. It separates you from God. I do not know how Christians, non-Christians alike, how people that have been a Christian for one day and how people that's been a Christian for ten years, how people that's been a Christian, Christian for thousands of years, I, and I, I'm saying that figuratively speaking, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, I don't know why some people believe, oh, I've been saved for a hundred years, therefore this one little sin's not going not gonna to do something. If you do not... Take that sin and put it under the cross of Calvary and allow the blood of Christ to cover it. Sin is sin and sin will send you to hell. I don't know why people misunderstand this. Oh, but God is a God of love. Well, yes, He is. But verse 4 tells us that God is a God of love and He's rich in mercy. His great love wherein He's loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Verse 6. And what because we're saved, we've been raised up with Him and seated with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Finally, in verse 7, it says this So that in the coming ages, we might know the immeasurable riches of God's grace and the kindness that God has towards us through Christ Jesus. Go back to verse 4, and I want us to look at a couple of things. We're going to be looking at these four verses here real quickly. Take a look at verse 4. It says, but God. I've preached a sermon on this. These, just these two words. I'm going to tell you something. I used to remember, and I've got it wrote down somewhere in one of the sermon outlines, how many times the phrase, but God, shows up together. You're going through a hard time, but God. You're in a sinful nature in your life, but God. Things are going upside down in your life, and you don't know what's going to happen next, but God. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of things that's going on in our lives today, but God. And when Paul writes this to the Ephesian church, he shows the grace of God in contrast 
to the lost and sinful people. Let me shed a light on you about something. Sinful nature, people that are in sin, they don't like to be alone. They don't like to be alone. They might not verbalize this. They might not even realize this themselves, but in their mindset, this is what they're saying. If I'm going down in sin, you're going with me. I'm taking you down with me. People in misery likes company. You may ever heard that phrase? Many of you probably have said that. How many times have you ever seen somebody that's really gloom and doom? They like people to be with them. As a Christian, if I'm going through a bad and hard time, as a Christian, if I'm going through something that's just it's bad, and I'm having to deal with a lot of things, first of all, I want to be alone. I want to be alone with me and God. And then I want people to be praying. I want people around me that's going to lift me up, that's going to pray and help me to overcome whatever may be happening. Church, people that live their lives in sin and have a sinful nature about themselves and, and just as, you know, they just don't know, in it, they, they're just all in it for the sin, I guess is a good way of wording it. They want to drag you down with them. And once they, once the devil uses somebody to drag somebody down in sin, once they're there, they drop them like a hot potato. Just because you fall into a sinful life does not mean you're going to have a bunch of people right there with you to help you. Sin is awful, folks. Those in sin have a sinful nature about themselves. They stand against God's gracious acceptance of us in Christ. God does not approve of sin, but He shows His mercy towards us. He loves us and He makes reconciliation possible through His Son. We also find in, in verse 4, we find the word mercy. Mercy is God's compassion for the helpless in, in issuing an action for our relief. God's mercy is issued in action for our relief. He had to, decided to destroy us. He would have been entirely justified. God does not owe us anything. But people, I've heard people tell me, they'll say, God owes me. Remember what I've done before? God owes me. Remember what's happened? God owes me. God owes you nothing, but He's given you it all. God owes us nothing. Once dead to sin, take a look at verse 5. Our being dead to sins is a vivid contrast with the description of God and His love. In a close parallel, we can find in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Such contrast, especially contrast between the present and the past, is one of Paul's favorite go-tos. He likes contrasting things that are far polar opposites, the present and the past. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. 
Also in verse 5, God says that God has made, Paul says that God has made us alive with Christ. We're dead dead in sin. Did you know that the only way out of your dead in sin is a quickening of the Holy Spirit, a tugging of the Holy Spirit towards God to get you back to where you need to be. We were once in consequences of our sins, a spiritual dead person, given up to utter corruption, helplessness, from which nothing could save us. However, God made, let's just say it like this, we were dead in our sins, but God made a better way. He made a way for us to be pardoned from our sins and given back the eternal life in which God wanted us to have. We also find in verse 6 that God has raised us up together. Christ, God raised Christ from the grave, brought Him back to the land of the living, we were, and, and as we were seated with Him in high places, this phrase that is found in verse 6 further describes to us a picture of Christ's exaltation in heaven and our involvement. Not only do we anticipate the resurrection and glorification, we also experience a personal realization of the risen life in Christ. So let's go on. Go on down to verse 8. Church, we are saved. We are saved by grace. Verse 8 through 10 tells us this. We are, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in the workmanship of God. God's created a path. God's created a life for us. So we find here that we owe our salvation entirely to the undeserved favor of God. Salvation is a result of our faith. Verse 8 tells us it's a result of our faith, not of our works. As we said in the beginning, you can do nothing to receive the gift of God. Have you ever been given something that you just knew you didn't deserve it, but you took it anyway? You felt undeserving to get that gift, but you took it anyway. Now, I know this may not be the right example to use, but you work on your job, and you're doing a great job, and you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you get a raise. I'm going to tell you, I don't know anybody that said, Oh, no, you take that raise back. I ain't never said it, have y'all? Has anybody... Live feed, if you've ever said it, you need to let me know. You need to comment. 
or text me and tell me you, you refused or you told them to take that raise back. Brother Arch, you never done that, did you? <laughs> or at the end of the year, you got that bonus for whatever reason. We call it a Christmas bonus. Amen. You get that Christmas bonus and all oh, everything looks so How many has ever given it back? No, we, we take that. Why? Because we think we deserve that. It's a gift. But church, the thing about it is the gift of salvation is given to us in the same manner. But guess what? You don't deserve it. It's not anything we've done. It is a gift of God through our faith that we receive that faith. Why? Because verse 9 excludes the possibility of a self-achieved salvation. As if it were insufficient that she, he should have insisted in verse 8 when Paul says, not of yourself, he adds, not of your own works. The apostle does not specify these works since he's, since he's not only talking to the Jewish Christians, but he's talking to you and I. He does not say it is of one type of works or another. He says your works. You can do nothing to receive this. However, I will tell you, after you receive salvation, now the work begins. Amen? Now the work begins. The result is immediately. It is to prevent the slightest self Congratulation, since salvation is by unmerited favor by God. You cannot boast because you've been saved. So go on to verse 10. Verse 10, verse, verse 10 tells us that salvation is produced by good works. Salvation produces good works. I'll get that out in a second. Salvation produces good works. You can do nothing to get salvation, but salvation is going to produce good works. We are God's workmanship. His, his property, His poetry, His pottery. And that is proposed to produce good works. Works plays no part in our salvation, but it is a demonstration of that said salvation that we do the good works that God has called us to do. So church, we find that we need to understand that by our faith, good works occurs. And we are one body in Christ. We are one body in Christ. Now, I, I wanted this slide on here for a reason. Normally these slides are there just to separate sections so that the, the, the sound booth knows where, where we're at. But I wanted this slide on here for a real good reason. We don't do it by ourselves. There was some folks out here working at the church the last few days and a couple, two or three, four people working on a project. Brother Andy, I didn't know nothing about that project. I'd have come and help. Nope. We, okay. 
Sometimes it, more hands in the fire makes it bad, but we'll just go from there. But some, there's two or three, four people who've been working on a project. Went to them specifically, and we're doing a project. Actually, they're doing a project. Did y'all hear how I said that? They're doing a project. And I was out there with the art, and I was telling them, you, several of you have worked out here before, and you know I'm right in the middle of it all the time, am I not? I'll get, I, look, I got that chainsaw just like everybody else when we was back here cutting stuff. I'm toting wood just like anybody else. I'm right in the middle of it. They've been working on this project, and I told them yesterday, I said, I want you to understand something. It is very hard for me not to be working with you in this. And I'm not working with them because I'm, it's not that I think I'm better or that I don't know how to do or anything of that nature. It, I, I realize, that, number one, there's other things I needed to be doing. Somebody came to me the other day and, and said, Brother Andy, have you noticed something lately? I said, what's that? There's people doing projects and work around the church and they're just doing them. And I said, that's what we've been training over the last several years to get to this point. Now, I like working in projects just like everybody else, but there are a lot of times there's other things I need to be doing. So I told, this, I told these folks that's out there yesterday, I said, you know what? It's hard for me not to get in the, right in the middle of this project and work. But I've turned this project over to y'all. Y'all are working, you're doing it. And now I'm going to do something, I'm, something else. I walked by and I started doing something on what they was doing. I said, nope, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not. I put everything down. Y'all just don't know how hard that is. But that's what I did. Why? One person cannot do everything. And everybody's not called to do every job in this church. I've not been called to be the, to be the nursery leader, director. I've not been called to do children's church. So I've not been called to do student ministries. Some of those areas, I'd probably have a lot of duct tape going on. You understand what I'm saying? But I've been called to be the pastor of the church. Others have been called to, be, to work in our, our tech team, our, our tech and media. We've got some that are a nursery, some that are Sunday school teachers, some that are uh, children's, uh, our kids' church. We've got some that's in our students'. I said it Wednesday night, we've got some that's been helping me in Sunday school and now that they're back, they're fixing to start getting a good schedule rolling. Been out sick. But here's the thing that we've got to understand. Everybody has a... And look, if I tried to do everything, boy, I sure would be... I'm, I'd be tireder than I already am after services. But I cannot do it all. I cannot play the piano and be in the sound booth and play the drums at the same time. Y'all know that that would be very, very funny, wouldn't it? There's pastors that tries to do everything. Now, as a pastor, I want to know the things that's going on, but I know I cannot do everything. And I believe that these next few verses 
is talking about exactly that. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 18. I believe that Paul is talking exactly about that we are one body. The head, the foot, the toes, the feet, the arms, the legs, the kneecaps. We're all one body and we've got to work together. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh was called the uncircumcision. By what? By those that was of the circumcised, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that where you were at, at, at that time separated by Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I'm tired. These verses, verses 11 and 12, these verses, I know what they're talking about. Look at verse 11. You find where it says the circumcision and the uncircumcision. It's talking about two groups of people within the body of Christ. Church, we are one church. We are one body. When we get to heaven, we'll be there with other Christians from other walks. We are Christians. Yes, we're Coosa Valley Church of God. We're one body. With many members that does many different things. We are one and we cannot operate separate from one. Amen? If this church had two heads, boy, it sure would look funny, wouldn't it? If, I walk, if my, me as a body walked around with two heads, I sure would look funny, wouldn't I? There's been those uh, in John, uh, those um, what's the word I'm talking about? They was joined together. There's a word for that where they where they was born and the, these twins that they've been joined together at the hip or I've seen pictures where they've been joined together at the head and what do they do? What do the doctors do? They do everything they can to separate them. Why? Because it does not operate like that. There was a set of, uh, is it called Siamese twins? Is that what they call them? I think that's what they call I think, don't quote me a thing. But there was conjoined, that's another one there. Those conjoined twins, I've seen several times what they was conjoined and they had one heart between the both of them. That one heart cannot operate both bodies. Right? So what did they have to do? They've got to find another heart and then they've got to separate the two. I'm saying they've been conjoined and they was shared other organs. And what they got to do? They got to separate them. Why? Because it does not operate that way. Church, what we've got to understand is we are one body in Christ. What God is telling us here in these verses of Scripture, 
He's telling the body that he's speaking to they had been and indeed still were Gentiles. They were non-Jews as far as the physical descent was concerned. The rest of the verse in verse 11 elaborates the distinction by citing nicknames that's been attached to them. Paul does not use a derogatory manner. He simply reports its currency. I don't refer to this body as young, old, rich, poor, black, black, white, green, yellow, polka dotted. We are one body in Christ. Amen? And this is what Paul is trying to convey and he's trying to uh, elaborate on and tell us that the church, the body of Christ is one body. There is no reason to have derogatory statements concerning the body of Christ. The church gets enough attacks from outside the church. We don't need none from inside the church. Amen? The real circumcision that really matters is of the heart. That's found in Romans chapter 2 verse 29. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. The only circumcision that Paul was talking about in in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11, the only circumcision that matters is the circumcision of the heart. Then we also find in verse 12. Verse 12, four successful phrases Paul uses to describe the state of the Ephesians prior to to their conversion. First, he says they was apart without God. They had no expectation of the Messiah. Second, they had no rights of citizenship in the kingdom of God because they was aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. They were cut off from any such privilege. Third, the Gentiles were not entitled to the benefits to the conventional community. They were positions of strangers who could not claim a benefit from God. As a consequence, they lived in a world devoid of hope and despair. Fourth, they were without God. They were not atheists, but they worshipped idols. They believed lowercase gods existed because they did not know the one true uppercase G, God. The moral and spiritual sickness and death of the Gentiles was there. 